Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to On the Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Thelen and Nick Stevens. On the Verge, a part of Baltimore Sports and Life Radio. And we're here to bring you the latest minor league coverage. And today we're actually going to get to do something we haven't done in a while, which is talk about action that is going on on the field. I'm joined by a guest who has seen a lot of baseball uh, lately and probably one of the few people in Birdland who have seen a lot of baseball. Uh, he is baseball scouting player development at Fusion Agents, as well as an FCL reporter for Prospects 1500, Utah Street Report. And he is also the podcast, also uh, Overtime Heroics Baseball. And he's also the co-host of the Florida Prospects Report. Uh, He is Eric Garfield. Eric, happy to have you back on the show. Thank you, guys. uh, I'm always with you on Mondays, so it's very appropriate that now I'm communicating with you on on this Monday. Thanks again. And the star of today with John Mioli writing a piece about you. That was awesome. I was happy to see that. You were on 105.7 today. Talked to you last night. It's it's a great time to be Eric Garfield. Right. It's uh, It means it's minor league baseball season and people care to listen and talk about the Orioles. So, all, you know, all four of us can be very excited about that. Absolutely. Well, you're filling a real desire right now among Orioles fans for new baseball content, which we're not getting a lot of because of the lockout. Um, How does it feel to actually be able to watch uh, drills and today a scrimmage game firsthand? Uh, I feel very lucky. It's kind of like a weird, unique privilege that I live near the stadium here. Uh, So kind of like my personality is to – to share the the good things that happen to me or what I see. So it just like feels very right and appropriate to uh, film the improvement and share it with fans that have been waiting for some positive Orioles developments for a couple seasons. And some of them like aren't sure or need some type of confirmation. So that's why I try to provide video also. Like, you know, you might not have to believe me or trust me or listen to me, but the results are there for you to look at and click and rewatch and slow-mo and all that kind of stuff. So it feels very good as an Orioles fan to have good news and even better to, to share it with other people. Let's talk about some of those players you've been watching. And let's start off with a big one right off the bat. Uh, that a lot of, or every Orioles fan, let's be honest, uh, is very anxious to watch this year. And that's, Heston Kerstad, uh, you're the first guy to get out there and watch him live right in front of your face. He is alive. He is real. He is swinging a baseball bat. Having watched him firsthand, what have you, what's been your impressions of him as a player so far? 
Well, uh, I guess you just made me think about this. The way that I can really see his athleticism is more in the outfield work and the like acceleration and the short bursts and the body control when he extends to make a catch or slows down to avoid a wall or th things like that. So that's kind of like a, a better indicator of how athletic he is and how much he can use his athleticism, which is like an indicator of, of health. So uh, very, very pleasantly surprised to, to see him move. Uh, in fact, his sister was there with her, uh, I believe it was her, her, her husband last week. So I got to ask her a couple things and, and talk about like the family and his development. And there was one drill that he ran and he just looked he just looked like a football player, a wide receiver, getting into the route, pivoting and moving to where the ball was. So I asked her, I said, did, did he play football? Because that was a very natural move. And she said no, but she told me agility exercises that he'd been doing to, to kind of prepare himself for uh, uh, professional baseball. So, you know, it's, it's the, the little things that I'm learning about him and the details about his game. And I've said it before, he really is very much a, a foundational piece. Like the, the big names that we talk about, like Kobe and Gunnar and Adley, uh, Heston Kerstad, you'll see, everybody will see when his game is on display, but he certainly belongs up there, like to be mentioned with, with them in that tier. How does he look physically? Does he look like he's missed two years or do you think he put on some good weight pretty quickly back uh, for this spring? Okay, that's a great question because I kind of like paid uh, a lot of attention to it around when he was drafted and then there's that big big delay and now he's back like sometimes in shorts and sometimes in uniform uh i had definitely anticipated him looking like somebody who uh experienced a major health setback and the first time i saw him i was dead wrong he looks like he's been uh not gaining a great deal of weight but in no way out of shape and very I want to say like a, the strong athletic frame that he exited from college, he still has that and he's developing it. You know, uh, I guess the best way to tell how strong his legs are is how easy the ball pops off in BP. So when he gets warm, he, his legs power the swing and make it look very low effort. So, I, you know, without being like up close, I'm just really estimating based on evidence, but looks very, very, very top athletic shape. That's great to hear. And I know you haven't seen as much of the pitchers yet so far at camp. It's been mostly, you know, batting practice, fielding drills. But uh, tell us what you can about what you've been able to glean from the pitchers. I know you saw Gene Pinto, our favorite, uh, Zach Peake, uh, a couple other guys. What, what do you think about them so far? Well, uh, I've seen Grayson. Uh, I've seen Carter Ballmer. I've seen Zach Peak, including today. Uh, I miss. I actually missed Grayson today. He pitched, but I wasn't there. Um, I, I'm sorry. I just, you know, that's a, a lot to see. But uh, you know, it's very, it's very early in their build up to uh, regular usage. So I'm seeing signs of that. But you know, in a, a 20 pitch uh, live BP session, if 12 or 13 of those are strikes that are in the right place. And difficult to make solid contact with it seems like the the traditional pitchers being ahead of the hitters a little bit and with pitchers like the class that that you've mentioned some of these guys are expected to 
have outstanding seasons this year, it's good to see them off to a good start as opposed to like a middling or less than average start. So speaking of Carter Ballmer, you had a chance to interview him in a story for Utah Street Report back in the fall. Um, and because, you know, he has not pitched since being drafted in 2020 with Tommy John surgery, a lot of Orioles fans still really aren't that familiar with him as a person or as a player. So just kind of give us some background, a little bit on what he's like. And then looking at the on-field side of this, what are your expectations for him now that he's healthy and throwing again? Okay, like personality-wise, I would say he actually came down uh, to the seats during the Rookie League game. That's where I met him, uh, like talking to him during a game. And he seems like very, uh, <laughs> very pro-pitcher. We were talking like... <laughs> about battles between pitchers and hitters. And every single time he was like, well, the pitcher should be able to do that. The pitcher should be able to dictate that. So definitely he's playing the, the right position for him. Uh, but that was like sitting in the stands and observing his teammates on the field. He's a lot more, a lot more serious and a lot more focused and a lot like brings the attitude of like, I'm ready to get to work and I'm ready to take care of business. Like, like a top of the rotation pitcher type of, of mentality. Uh, where would I expect him to start? I guess just because of his, his lack of experience, not really like his lack of age, but his lack of experience against other hitters, I might expect him to begin the season in Sarasota in front of me at the, uh, at the rookie league, but with an eye on uh, probably advancing quickly. Guys with his draft profile and other organizations usually show up in the rookie leagues, but they end up in, in low A by the end of the year. 2020 so. draft looking better and better. Oh, yeah, it's a great one, obviously. Moving ahead to the 2021 draft class, over the offseason, we've kind of been driving the John Rhodes as breakout candidate uh, hype train over here. Uh, you've had a chance to see him over the last few weeks, and what are your impressions of him? Well, he is really strong. You know, uh, it's hard to tell. Like we talked about Kerstead, you kind of have to go, like, by the results. I don't have the data, but he hit a 600-foot home run, and he's not, like, an overwhelmingly large person. So right there, the wind was, like, not in his favor. He hit it over a high net and then over a street. So I guess, like, my first impressions of him are he really can use his torque to produce positive baseball outcomes swinging. But then I watch him in drills a lot, too. And he's very fast on his feet, very athletic. And as far as they do with, like, a specific drill to catch it at the warning track and kind of stop your momentum, he really just has, like, a, a such a natural and aesthetically pleasing stop. So, again, more details of a really skilled player, very strong, loud contact, far contact, and athleticism in the field. So... Uh, I remember, I think when, when you guys drafted your squads with Connor last week, you were talking about like infield or outfield for Rhodes. And I'm just seeing like such a, a strong outfield foundation of skills. I, I really, really get a lot out of watching these guys go through their drills. So in other words, choo choo. <laughs> right, 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 right. Starting now. Yeah. 
I love it. I, I just I still can't pinpoint exactly what it is, but something in those short, small sample sizes at Del Marva last year is just he's he's piqued my interest uh, pretty high there. So I'm excited to see what we can do across his first full season. But looking at some other guys, and you're talking about you know you get to sit there and watch these drills individually, and I know you pay a lot of attention to a lot of those small drills and see a lot of those small details that more casual fans are going to miss out on. So let's talk about Jordan Westberg and Gunnar Henderson. And there's so many questions about their defense, especially playing defense at shortstop. Um, what are you seeing with these two guys in their drills uh, at, at that position and in the infield? And who do you give the edge to right now based on you know, the last year or so uh, in this kind of friendly competition, this friendly rivalry that the two of them have as a future starting shortstop in the major leagues? I have to say, as much as I've liked Gunner and, and, and uh, watched his development all the way from the beginning, and I, this is really kind of like my first time seeing Westberg in person and what he brings to the practice environment and therefore like expected into the game environment, uh, he really is outstandingly consistent at every single movement. Right? You know, there's no runs, no grips, no errors. He's smooth with his feet. He's smooth sweeping across the bag. He's, you can just put him at third in a drill, and he can turn and pivot like a third baseman. So I guess I would say, like, in terms of who does the best work in the shortstop hole, I would say that's Gunner. And a little bit quicker transfer, and the throws are similar. So Gunner does better work in the shortstop hole, but I don't know because I haven't seen uh, about Gunner's level of versatility. Can he play second? Can he play third? And I have seen that from Westberg in, in limited reps. It's such a neat thing to see this competition like rep to rep from both of those guys. And it's, you know, this is, it's, it's something that a lot of fans don't get to see. So I try to, I try to do the best to show like what's actually happening uh, right in front of me because it is, it is significant and people like us, we really care about it. Yeah, that's cool. That's good to hear. And um, I'm a little nervous to ask you about this, but I think it will lead to an interesting story that I enjoyed when I was on with you last night. Um, from what you've seen, can Kobe Mayo stick at third base? <laughs> Why? Well, I get. I get. I mean, I guess. Uh, Why well, slow mo? Like every single drill he does, and I'm watching it for like with the criticism that other people have in mind. And they're citing his lack of foot speed or his lack of foot quickness. And I'm filming his elite foot speed and his elite quickness just on a frame that is six foot five today. So uh, I would say his hands and his feet present the best case for him staying at third base long term. When he starts to make mistakes or starts to have poor footwork, or poor shuffling skills, or can't guard the corner. You know, these are these are things that a third baseman needs to do, and he does exquisitely well. So I'm gonna I'm gonna vote for him as as a third baseman until he proves otherwise or starts making a lot of mistakes. And we'll we'll, we'll all see that, but I would not expect that anytime soon. He's he's a, a very very good fielder. He understands he can third baseman's job, and yeah, he can hit a little bit too. He can handle uh, fans yelling at him, when are you going to be in the outfield, and, and handle it with maturity. <laughs> well, yeah, yesterday, or a couple days ago, 
he walked over and there's a couple fans like in the right field corner were outside the fence and a lady had actually asked him and I, I couldn't even believe it just like out of nowhere are you a, a outfielder or a third baseman and he just gave the the very mature answer about the coaches <laughs> tell me to go to third so I'm a third baseman until until they tell me otherwise but I was like uh, something smart came out of the side of my mouth <laughs> look so listen to a question here from Vivek do you think Mayo's arm itself makes him enough to be Average at third if the footwork were to be an issue. Well, uh, hi, Vivek, by the way. Uh, Vivek helps me a lot with guys that I can't see or can't tell who they are at, at camp. Sometimes <laughs> I send him the pictures and he gets it very quick. Uh, so thanks for that. But, I mean, I would think that an arm that can throw it across the diamond, remember he's tall, so it's not exactly the same distance as someone who's not as tall who can throw it like 91 or 92 miles across the diamond to get it out. Again, that's another, it's a weapon. You need to get those outs. So I, I want him protecting stats and protecting uh, pitchers and protecting leads. So again, an, an, another part of his game that just the more you watch and the more it seems tailor-made to protect that corner. Yeah, if Michael Franco can uh, stand over there with, with the decent arm, you know, Kobe Mayo will be fine. Fair comp, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, I, I said before in an episode, I, I thought it was kind of a bold take at the time, there, maybe close to the end of last season, that uh, I call Kobe Mayo a very special prospect uh, in this system, and it is becoming more and more uh, true, I think. Um, and luckily, national outlets are finally seeing this as well, uh, reflecting that in their national rankings. <laughs> but um, on the flip side of that, I, I think – Anyone that you've noticed, um, you know, you could say struggling, but, you know, it's early in camp. It's February. It's early March. Is there anyone you see out there in the field or in the batting cage that, that when you watch, you think it's going to come along maybe a little bit later for them right now? Uh, I am immensely biased towards this organization and the young population of players, but I would I would have no problem saying that. This is a limited camp, and it's kind of the same population. And I'm actually really glad you asked because it doesn't seem like this is a kind of environment where a guy is going to be low for a long time or miss a day or get out of rhythm. And that's the, the rising tide aspect of this group being together. So I haven't seen one guy have like more than five bad swings in a cage, and then he's stepped out, took a deep breath, and hit two home runs. And that person, that was Creed. He's 18. So guys are coming along so well. And, uh, man, I'm trying, I'm, I'm really trying to think. There's anybody who, like, has booted a couple grounders. I really, you know, the, the onboarding program for these players, it, it looks like it's working so much that the results are, are there. And... Uh, the standard has been raised, and the players at this camp are are meeting it every single day. Nice. Do you, what do you see when you, you mentioned Creed there? A couple of bad hacks, but kind of takes him himself out of, out of there, takes a deep breath, and gets back in the box. Do you see a lot of you know if guys tend to be struggling a little bit during a drill? Do you see coaches immediately jump in, or is it a lot of that these players are kind of stepping out, correcting it themselves, and coming back in? Uh, and maybe that, that conversation is happening, happening later on with the players. 
I'll say uh, a little bit of both. There's uh, drills where there's coaches like right next to the guys and they'll like stand and show their body. You know, your posture needs to be like this or your release needs to be like this. You need to start and, uh, you know, your pre-pitch foundation needs to be like that. Sometimes it'll be like after the reps are over and the guys are walking off the field, I can see a coach like put his arm around someone and what they're what they're demonstrating. But in the cage, it's really them and the music and the rhythm. So it was pretty cool to see Creed just step out, realize, all right, I'm a little off. My timing's off. Let's just get it right between the ears, step in, and get right back, back down to business. And the results came within a second. Seeing him and seeing his early development has been, like, really one of the best things about this camp. He is going to be an amazing left-handed slugger very, very, very soon. I can see the coaches being aggressive to get the best out of him and start his track really going in an upward direction. Very, very you have to really be looking forward to yeah. this summer when he and Samuel Basayo are down in the FCL. <laughs> Quite a catching lineup. And who has them both on his team and locked on? I don't know. But um, how much can you tell from drills versus game action? And in your experience, does the former typically translate to the latter when it comes to this stuff? Uh, the way the Orioles do it, they don't waste drills. They don't waste a rep. It might looks somewhat unconventional like when they take out uh, football and are throwing it to different parts of the field but but I have a feeling when we watch Kyle Stowers uh, run down uh, long fly balls by taking the perfect route to their landing spot that'll be the the skill from the drill getting into the into the game so uh, I would say they, the, the not wasting practice aspect of, of what I'm seeing, I would expect to translate directly into positive results. I mean, we have the, the or they have the number one system. So something about what they practice and what they teach is is working. It's not just talent alone. It's it's the execution and the results. Love it. I I that reminds me when when we had Lamar Sparks on and he said the same thing. There, there's nothing wasted. Uh, they get in, they get the most out of you in short sprints, short drills, uh, and I, I absolutely love that. Um, this kind of made me think of a different question, though, uh, and talking about outfielders and, and drill work and someone you've posted a couple of videos on. I'm interested in your take on this guy. Um, where would you rank Matt Blood among the outfielders in this system? Oh, <laughs> well, I even said something to him the other day. Uh, a group came came out from the field, came back in from the field, and Adam Hall was one of them, and he had just run down like three very, very difficult fly balls in batting practice. And then blood took over for him, and I said something about, you know, are you got, are you gonna have to show everybody how it's done? And I was joking, but then he made like three very difficult, difficult catches. So uh, I would say he's he's in he's in the second tier, maybe not the top tier, but he's actually better at quarterback than he is at center field. With quarterback, I would put him with Hanafi and Bradish uh, very much in the top tier. His spin and the arc on the football are really near perfect, time after time after time. So two-sport athlete and a good one. Love it. Um, it's interesting. I watched Hanafi on the high school football field a lot, but as a receiver, and his older brother was throwing him the passes. Uh, okay. So I guess he, he learned something from his brother there. But um, 
going back to the players, uh, and we talked about we talked about Kerstad's weight there and what he's looking like physically. Who else, from your vantage point, who else has really stood out to you in terms of you know body transformations? Anyone else you look at and you say he hit the weight room uh, within the last year over the offseason? Okay, I'm glad you asked. There's one, and I had thought it, but I also got a confirmation of uh, Kowser. When Kowser got drafted, I'm not going to say he was skinny, but he appeared to have a slenderer frame in ba- in like a baseball uniform, and he's put on good weight from the hips up, and I'd say about like 15 to 18 pounds of it. And again, you watch and listen to the results – his line drives sometimes end up on the other side of the fence. So, you know, uh, we're talking about like efficiency and body changes and things working fast. So he wasn't drafted that long ago. He's a per- person that's that's put on good weight and is using it. Another one, uh, a show favorite for all the right reasons, uh, looking, I don't want to say thick, but with more muscle from head to toe is Joey Ortiz. And this is someone that I'm not that close to. There, he's in the infield or you know tracking back to the fringe of the outfield. So this is kind of like muscle that I can see from his line drive, and also kind of like through his shirt. So he's looking a, a, a little bit bigger, also. But you have to think when he rehab, he probably lifted also. Love to hear that about Kowser. I mean, that's the one thing, right? You know, the Orioles drafted him knowing. If he can have this power, he can be a star player, and they immediately get set working on that. I love that about what the what they're doing right now. He also seems to be very outgoing and very like so upbeat and bringing like he jokes on every rep. He screams like I know the guy's nicknames because I hear him call everybody by their nickname. So he really is that that very upbeat positive personality guy even when he messes up he's smiling so he really brings like a lot to the camp and that's that's another thing that i expect to like translate to leadership during the season what a great draft pick yeah that is awesome someone predicted that i don't know who i'll figure it out (laughs) um we did our top 50 a couple months ago we had a few listeners ask us why we didn't include moises ramirez after his excellent season in the FCL last year. I know you're pretty high on him. So what do you think we should be watching for with him this season? Okay. Uh, Great question. Again, I would expect for, I'm probably not going to get to watch him in Sarasota. I would expect him to be at low at Delmarva, but he's a guy who really, Takes the coaching very well. Whatever the instructors were telling him, he would take that right into the game and try to do it or execute it. For Moises, he's very strong. He's built, you know, a little bit stronger and more muscle and a little thicker body than than people his age. It doesn't hinder or deter his movements. But what I would focus on paying attention to him is do the strikeouts and the walks have that nice balance for someone in early development because – it seemed at times he would try to get aggressive with swinging and he would not select the right pitches. Even though he had a good, a pretty good stat line for a rookie league season, I thought that he left a couple hits out there by swinging at the wrong pitches before his opportunity. So if I'm seeing that, I guarantee you instructors are seeing that too. So maybe just pay like a lot of attention to 
the the on base aspect of his of his swing decisions. We know that's a big priority in the farm system too. So that I would imagine is going to be something they work with him a right. lot with at Del Marva this year. Right, an organizational philosophy. So it's going to reach everybody. I hope that it that it reaches him at this stage of of his development because he can really do a lot with contact. Love it. I'm just excited. We finally get to watch up close and personal all these young international stars coming up through oh, the hi. system. <laughs> it's going to be the one of the biggest storylines of 2022. Um, but last year, speaking of Matt Blood again, he told us all to watch out for Kyle Bradish and Joey Ortiz, and they delivered, I think, in pretty big ways. Now today, we, we hear that he's saying watch out for Adam Hall in 2022. And we've all been pretty down on Hall for a while now. Last season, we know there were injuries, which contributed to a lot of this, a lot of his struggles. But what have you seen from Adam Hall in Sarasota that can uh, lift our spirits up a little bit? I'm so glad you asked because I had a specific question with my friend, Alan, who is with me at the stadiums watching with binoculars. So he can see even more than I can see. Today, we're trying to figure out who is who in the new practice jerseys. And he, a center fielder makes a play. A center fielder makes another play. A center fielder strides to a spot where we didn't think he could get to and made a, a great snag. It was Adam Hall. He's been doing that in the outfield every drill, every time, showing outstanding acceleration. He also beat out a close play, accelerating down the line for a hit today. Then when he goes into second, he looks almost as good. Double plays, quick turn, outstanding electric transfer, like Joey Ortiz type transfer. So it may, I, I, I would say that I, I was kind of like with you guys, like, are we going to see him reach another stage in his development? And it's just a reminder that sometimes these things don't happen when we want them or when we expect them. But I'm, and, and, and I said to Alan, can you believe how fast this guy's feet are? Did you even think that? And he said, I knew he was fast, but not this fast. So it certainly makes sense for, for Matt Blood to say that. He knows much more than I do, but I'm seeing like a little bit of resurgence in his all-around baseball speed. So he is a speed player, so maybe that means something for, for what this season will, will, will have for him. I would love for him to prove us wrong. That would be amazing. Me too. Yeah. Speaking of infielders and Matt Blood, uh, Matt Blood was on 105.7 today, and he also mentioned Cesar Prieto as a player to watch and said that Joey Ortiz looks good in the box. Um, do you agree with that? Uh, it's hard to tell exactly who is who, but I have seen Prieto, and I would say – like the profile that we expect, when he gets warm, he hits uh, line drives over the second base hole. You know, not the, the hardest in the organization, but well-placed, well-barreled, time after time after time after time. It, it, he can turn on inside pitches really well for someone like uh, with his lack of, of, of size. So... Uh, the the fact that we we expect him to be a hitter, and all of the things that he's shown in the cage show he's a contact based hitter. I expect uh maybe not a Connor Norby high average, but uh, an average that we we we'd all like and be very satisfied with. Taron Vavra esque, perhaps. Okay, that's maybe a better comp. 
And how about Joey Ortiz? Does he look fully healthy coming back from his surgery? Does he look like he did uh, in the first beginning of last year? Yeah. Okay. This is another thing about that I try to discuss with, with about the Orioles, like injuries like his used to derail development or stall development. And now remember Kobe was hurt his first year and Carter looks great. And uh, I expect Ilio Prado to have a big year. Like now guys come back from injury with a, a, a just as hungry approach and hit the ground running. I, I've watched Ortiz in individual drills before he was like with the team. And I did slow-mos of his footwork and his transfer. He, I, the only word that comes to mind, he looks electric. He, to, he looks totally electric. So for what you're asking, like, does that mean he's going to be right back on track? I would say overwhelmingly I expect yes. Very cool. Absolutely. Yeah, we're huge fans of him over here, as I know you are as well. And, you know, come June. All right, let's put get in your mindset. It's June. FCL season's about to get started. Who are you most excited to watch play every day, day in and day out for the Orioles? Okay, well, honestly, I'm just as excited for the coaches because uh, I know, like, how – I know their baseball philosophies and how they like to teach, and I know the – the players are going to benefit so much from them, which means we, we benefit. But uh, really, I want to see uh, Michael Hernandez. And I have a feeling that I will, and I'll be lucky enough to, to be able to film it and share it. But uh, I watched him at, at hitting camp very, very briefly move a little bit in the dirt. And he just looks like when he reaches his the, the, the stages of progression – He's just going to resemble a major league shortstop right away. So I kind of, you know, those, those type of skills or skill sets really stand out in, in the rookie league. So if he's one of those players that other organizations kind of kind of bring, it really would represent a lot of excitement for us. So I would say other than other than Creed having like a full campaign, Michael, Michael Hernandez is the one that I want to see the most. We have some listener questions we're going to get to in a minute, but before we do, I want to backtrack for a moment because you mentioned Delio Prado. Uh, this is a player we did not get to see last year because of an injury, but that we're all pretty excited about. You had a chance to watch Prado a little bit in 2019, correct? After the Andrew Kastner trade? Very little, right. So just from what you saw, what kind of player is he? And, you know, is this someone you're expecting to see a little bit this summer in Sarasota? Uh, yes, I am expecting it to see him in Sarasota. I definitely am, uh, I don't know, I guess happy or proud of him for, I guess, like passing his initial physical and being able to be like uh, in the practicing and playing population. A lot of times, like, Fans don't really know how much of a challenge it is just to get to step one uh, in some cases. So I really feel very good about his, like, the, the, the very beginning. And now he finally started and, and, and have a healthy approach. But uh, I guess uh, not a big guy, but somebody whose athleticism it means a little more strength than you would expect when you look at him. Uh, good ball tracker good accelerator to, 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 to where the ball is going to be. But I think, uh, I think offense is going to make his profile more than defense. And uh, I'd expect very young for him to be like a, a slap hitter. But as he starts to develop, I think power is going to come pretty soon. So, you know, I, I, I just, I, I'm so glad that he's like 
you know, we traded for him a really long time ago. And the other guy in the trade, Nobirth Romero, is already on track and had a, a really good uh, rookie league season and played a lot and was a dependable infielder. So I guess Prado missed out on, on that part. But um, um, not cautiously optimistic that he's going he's gonna to have a good 2022. Very confident player. Extremely confident player. So we'll go to our first listener question here from Vivek. From Michael Hernandez, do you buy the A-Rod Manny Machado body comp? Okay, absolutely, yes. Yeah, yeah. He's tall. He's long-limbed. He looks like uh, his, his build is more tall baseball player than maybe like basketball player with like his leg length and his hips. So I think those type of physical comparisons are very apt, Vivek, and as great as those two players are, I don't think it's it's crazy to say that he could physically resemble and move like them at their peaks, which is, you know, A-Rod, one of the best players I've ever seen. You heard it here first. Michael Hernandez, Hall of Fame <laughs> 2047 or whatever. Okay, I'll be there. We'll be there. <laughs> Question here from uh, Addy. Um in what respect does Kobe remind you of Chris Bryant or Anthony Rizzo the most? Okay. Uh, I guess the physical frame is, I think his height and weight are identical to, to Chris Bryant. Uh, so there he, he looks like him in stature. Uh, I would say when I, when I watch Rizzo, I don't watch a ton of major league baseball, but I have watched Rizzo and I watched him develop. He was always a great bat speed player. So he was able to uh, make adjustments in pitch, but not slow down the bat because of it. So I really think offensively, that's, that's Kobe's best skill. He can hit a bad pitch 480 feet. So I guess, you know, these are, these are slugger, slugger capabilities. So I guess like bat speed and adjustments with bat speed are how like Rizzo and Kobe can be compared to each other, and it's ironic because they exercise and work out uh, with each other in the same gym, so they're actually extremely close. We're just going to have you on for like another hour where you just talk about Kobe Mayo uh, for the rest of the show. Okay, um, another question here from David Adams. <laughs> A question from David Adams in the Patreon group. He wants to know, based uh, only on what you've seen this spring, would you rank Kerstad or Kowser higher? That is a good question. I'm going to say defensively, they both, man, that is, that's, that's 50-50. Offensively, Kerstad seems a little more consistent with contact. Kowser seems like his line drives travel higher and further. So I'm going to go 52 to 48 for Kowser. But really, how good is it to have those expected star players like so close to each other where I, I really can't decide who's, who's better, but I, even knowing like all the details of them. So they're really close, and that's so great for all of us. Yeah. It seems like every list, national list, you see Kerstad's like falling out of the top 100, and he's falling down Orioles prospect list. And now he hasn't even played Dynasty, a game, though. Dynasty people and, pick, pick him up as a sleeper. Uh, there you go. Fantasy advice here on the show as well. 
Um, yeah, I'm, I think Kerstad might be the one prospect I am most excited to watch this year because I hope he proves a lot of people wrong. And, and I, those evaluations and your observations you've had a spring, I think people listening uh, should be super excited about Kerstad in 2022. I don't yeah, want to like – I'm sorry. I don't want to like create any fake hype. That's certainly not like the, the reason that I do anything that I do. But, I, you know, I, I call it like I see it. And this guy is a player that's – you know, I, I remember way back when saying about Gunner, you know, like, yeah, this guy's really good. Wait till everybody sees him. They're going to be charged up. I feel very, very, very similarly about uh, Kerstad. So I don't think I'm building un- un- unnecessary hype. And, uh, you know, I hope, I, I hope he gets to, a, to an affiliate and starts kicking ass. Absolutely. And and I completely agree. Just watching the videos you're posting. I mean, it's seeing is believing. It's not just you talking it out. You can watch him. He's he's fluid out there. He looks strong. And I know there are definitely people and they know who they are on the Baltimore Sports and Life message board who uh, have pretty much written him off and are almost seem to be rooting against him. And I just hope he comes out and is just like lights out to start the year and, and can get right back in, on track. Uh, we have another question from Yoni, who would like to know what coach have you seen be the most vocal with his instruction. Oh my God, that's the easiest one. <laughs> that's so easy. That's a former On the Verge guest, that uh, <laughs> Tim DeJohn, who's kind of like running the practice and organizing everything. You know, there's, I, I don't know if you can tell, like there's lawnmowers all the time or there's traffic, people honking their horns. It's, it's like near an intersection. So it's kind of like a loud environment, even when it's quiet. But there's no noise in Sarasota that I cannot hear his voice over. <laughs> and, and it's been like that since from the very beginning. So uh, it's, it's definitely him. But I don't want to, like, make it seem like he's just, like, a screamer or a, a, a purposeless, like, yeller. Because a lot of the improvement that I've seen from players, I can directly attribute to their relationship with him and his emphasis on fundamentals and drills he really is a true grounders and infield expert so for that point most of the coaches are actually kind of quiet he is not quiet great question. yeah i'm big fan My of bad. tim he was great on the show All right i totally agree so some contribute to this question how many minor league players are in this phase of camp all of them now we could cross off anyone that's on the 40 man obviously but beyond that how many are down there uh, I think the mi- the mi- mini camp, I'm going to say it had between 22 and 26, something like that. So they could kind of keep the groups, even if they needed to divide for, for drills or spread out BPs. So, uh, that, that, that population over the last couple of days, like mini camp has found its way to, to ending and real spring training has started. So some pitchers joined that population and some of the catchers that were there for minicamp obviously were there to, to, to catch pens. So now it's almost like between now and I guess Wednesday, it's really going to be like everyone on the entire depth chart. So probably like 150 to 200 guys. Talk about memorizing the jerseys getting tough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We have a question here that is off topic, but that uh, our listener, Dan, felt was important, and we thought it was important, too. So we're including it in this show. He picked up on the tidbit in your uh, the piece you were featured in, in John Mioli's newsletter, Maximizing Playoff Odds, uh, about you bringing snowballs to Sarasota. 
Right. And Dan wants to know, after introducing them, did Floridians appreciate the awesomeness of egg custard snowballs? Okay. Again, it's so crazy that you asked that. Uh, yes, there's actually been uh, a, a successful franchise that started, and uh, they're not from Maryland, but they sell egg custard, and it's their best seller because they were customers of mine. So uh, the business doesn't exist anymore, but I actually had like posters of egg custard and why it was so important. So that, that, that attempt at educating Sarasotans uh, definitely worked. And, and John in the article mentioned, I, did, I never even think about this. There was a law against selling snowballs and using like ice cream trucks in Sarasota. So I challenged and changed that law. So that, that's one of the reasons that this franchise exists and is able to thrive is because that outdated policy is, is, is no longer. So definitely, I thought you were going to ask about my dog, but, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, beating, beating the Sarasota City Commission, I'm telling you, it felt like it felt like winning a World Series. It was so much fun. <laughs> that is so cool. And even better than egg custard is old-fashioned egg custard. Add a little bit of the, the cream to it. You do that? Well, yeah, we had marshmallow. They like the, the people of Sarasota like marshmallow more than they like egg custard. Oh, okay. Okay. As the non-Marylander here, I feel uh, out of place. I've never had one. <laughs> now i got to go up to Maryland and try one. Uh, Vivek has another question here. He wants to know, in all of your time as an Italian evaluator and scout down there in Sarasota, watching minor leaguers develop, uh, who's been the one prospect or two uh, throughout the years that you were rightfully high on while the rest of the industry and a lot of your peers were a little bit lower on? It could be Orioles or not right. Orioles, guys. Okay. Uh, well, I'll definitely start with with Daryl Hernandez for sure. I remember when I, I tried to get a job with different websites. Uh, I, I I I had got in touch with somebody, and they were maybe going to hire me to pay attention to practice. And when I started talking to them about what I saw with Daryl, they started to have a lot more faith in me. I told them about his posture about his focus, about how slumps and streaks didn't get him down. He stayed the same guy. Uh, he could go 0 for 4, but the fifth at bat, he could uh, have an RBI double. So he's somebody that I always had faith in would be like a leader type of personality as well as a very slick fielding infielder. Now coming back to camp and, and watching that happen, I do feel – I feel validated a little, but I really feel even more proud because he's helping our organization and he's helping a lot of other players get better. And he is a leader. He's not loud and outgoing, but uh, a lot of like times in an athletic or practice environment, you have a guy that can really like lead by example. And he's somebody that I, I just always thought would be in, in a, a bigger major role. So watching it happen is just such a, such a positive part of, of what I see and work, I guess like hand in hand, what is, is gunner. And I like, like from the very beginning, those two, I even like felt compelled to write about it. You know, they're, they're just a good infield pair that have great chemistry. So I, like I said before, when I saw gunner play and I saw him execute, I was just like, man, Oriole fans are going to go, go crazy when, when they see this guy. And, you know, it's not like me being like, I told you so, but I really am very 
very happy that those are two guys that we've got to watch like or I got to watch from the the very beginning like really like their very first days into what they are now because they're they're just great players I, I'm so happy to see them thriving and and being part of a, a real competition so them two for sure and speaking of Daryl Hernandez, um I've mentioned that you know he's a guy that I could see pulling a Joey Ortiz where he if he fills out a little bit, add some good weight, some good muscle that he could really kind of, you know, pop at least, you know, in the next year or two. And what do you think coming into camp? Is he showing any more of that added muscle or weight and maybe hitting for a little more power in, in batting practice? Absolutely. Especially in his shoulders and biceps. He has the identical swing that he had for the rookie league. There have not been that much adjustments. I don't know how like, Aesthetically pleasing it is. Some people would be like, it's not best time or the front foot lift is a little big. The explosion of the balls in the hitting zone is exactly the same. And yet, he hit one uh, over the pond beyond uh, the, the fence at one of the fields, too. So into the wind, I'm going to say between 435 and 450 up into the air. So and Oppo, so that's a, a sign of a much stronger player. I don't know if the 2019 version of him was physically capable of that, but now he is. And again, this is BP, so this is no velocity. So he's just sending it out with his torque. So, yeah, I think it's that's a very reasonable thing. And also, you know, from, from interacting with him and, and communicating with him, he is a an exercise, a serious exercise and serious, like, overall health person. So I would say, Bob, I, I would expect him as grows to be and stronger than he is now. All right. Vivek had another question. Okay. Assuming there is a Rule 5 draft, who is one player you'd be sad to see plucked from the Orioles system? And I added, would you, do you think it might even be better for the Orioles to not have a Rule 5 draft and not okay. risk losing anyone? Okay, that's the easiest question. Uh, the one that I think would be the worst, and I talk about this all the time with anyone that would ask, I do not want to see this person in a Cubs or Reds or Diamondbacks uniform or Pirates. That's uh, Nick Vespi. I think he's, just like we talked about, Kobe is providing the things we, we, we need for like a third baseman. I don't think that Nick Vespi is a minor league pitcher. I think he's a major league pitcher and needs to test himself against the best. The Orioles kind of need a lefty with his type of movement patterns late in the game. So it would most definitely be him. I would be not, I would be, I would be upset if I saw like the final stages of his development into a good major league player on another team. And I think a lot of people would also, uh, I guess the second part of the question, I feel pretty strongly that um, as much as it would be in the organization's advantage to use that number one pick in the rule five, I am a development fan, so I'm for the org guys that have been with our coaches and been with our instructors and have started to, to buy in more than uh, a talented, you know, maybe reliever, maybe starter from another organization. And you made a great point last night when we kind of were talking about the same thing. Like, who, who is someone that the Orioles have rule five and just turned into a total A plus that's, that's really like helping and thriving so much? So, so, you know, you're really kind of limited no matter who you select. And I feel like I, I, with, with guys that, that the Orioles had developed themselves, the, the limits are a, 
a little higher and the expectations could be higher too. So I do not, you know, I, 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 do, I do not want to have the rule five draft and I do not want to lose Nick Vesby. This is where you and Vivek are, are going to butt heads. He's the rule five guy. That's all right. That's all right. I actually have discussed it with him too. And it's like a, a logical discussion and, you know, he, he understands my side and I understand his side so we can talk like adults, which is really crazy. <laughs> yes. I, I saw this question on the outline, and so I didn't add another one because I knew you were going to answer Nick Vespi to this question, okay. and I was excited to see what you are going That's good because, yeah, I have loved Vespi as well. I love that they put him in the bullpen, and he's taken off the last two years. And, yeah, his Arizona Falling performance, I think Jonathan Mayo was all over it. This is a guy that's going to get picked. He, this is a guy who's going to get picked both times. Um, and he better and better both times he was on national TV. So I, I kind of lean – towards Eric there. I, I want to keep Nick Vespi. You'd be sad if he was a good pitcher on the Reds. How frustrating would yeah. that be? Like, well, the Orioles yeah. bullpen needs a good lefty who makes the ball move. Don't do yeah. it. No, I, I don't. Very much. I don't want to go through what I went through last year with Zach Pop. That hurt me for a long time. <laughs> and I don't want this, to go all right, This would again. hurt more. I think this would hurt more. Yeah, and I watched Zach Pop come out of the bullpen at Cannon Yards last year at a game in person, in a Marlins uniform. That was not a great feeling. <laughs> not I want all. for all of us to avoid that totally. I, I'm sorry that, that that you had to experience that, but I think collectively, <laughs> like, we we, we, uh, we like Nick Vespi, so we kind of want to see him come to fruition and show his skills in our colors, and I think that's that's very logical. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with you. I hope that Vespi uh, makes his debut in Baltimore here soon. Interestingly, uh, is- interestingly enough, I'm sorry to cut you off, but it seems like today he was in the scrimmage. He was the, the, the final pitcher. And a couple days ago, after Grayson pitched, Nick pitched, and then the scrimmage was also over. So we're getting maybe little indicators that it might just be like closer, closer. Very interesting, yeah. It is interesting. So... Our last listener question here comes from David Adams, which is, which prospects as an Orioles fan are you most excited to see make it to Baltimore? And he notes that he's not asking you as an evaluator who your top prospect is, but as a fan who you're the most excited to see. Okay. I would say that's guys that have showed that, like, earn their stripes and earn their spots. Like, uh, I guess someone that I expect to – to be there and to face adversity, handle adversity, and pass adversity because I've seen that is uh, the guy who hit, hit the home run today, Robert Newstrom, who's uh, a lefty who hit the home run, the 480-foot home run in Hartford. Today he hit one to me. In, that was in right field. Today he hit one to me straight left. So versatile results, but uh, I just remember thinking – when I saw him first in the outfield group a couple years ago, like he throws it hard from the outfield, you know, the arm will play. And then I'm seeing like little things, the pivot will play, the acceleration to the grounder, the scoop will play. So all these things coming together kind of make me think like he has earned that, that spot in the actual major league outfield competition. Then I come to camp And I see him performing well in drills with guys that are earlier in their development than him. He really kind of stands out like that vet who deserves the bump up. So 
Uh, that's that's really a good question and uh, uh, news. Last minute question from Bob in Baltimore. Um, what was it like to watch Adley Rushman just crank a home run to to the right field today? All right, I'll tell a good story. I was recording, and my friend was like standing above me, and I saw the contact, and I'm staying on the hitter, and I can't say anything, but I'm looking up at him. He has the binoculars, so I want to make sure that he can get the last name. And he's just looking at me. He's not looking in the binoculars. And when he when he crosses the plate and I hit record, I'm like, Alan, I couldn't see who it was. He's like, trust me. I saw who it was before he swung. It was Rochman. And I started <laughs> celebrating in the staircase. I was jumping up and down. So, you know, extremely exciting, over-the-top exciting. You know, this is this is what we want our number one pick to do. And it looks like these are the, the results. So he's he's primed to do it. Uh, also, another neat thing, another catcher who's just hitting doubles and homers out, the, out today and in batting practice is Nottingham. Nottingham is a very powerful hitter. He's the probably like the largest frame in this camp now. So the the whoever is the catcher for the Orioles or the collective catching group might be a lot more powerful than people think. How positive yeah. is that? Could be a nice little tandem there. You right. mean more powerful than Francisco? <laughs> you know, I, I was looking at old prospect lists from a couple years ago, and he was very high on He was very high on one. So, yeah, Zach, he's probably going to be better than Francisco. We're, we're Good question. Great stuff. Well, a uh, quick update here for the On the Verge guest appearance leaderboard. Eric is now tied for second all time with two appearances with Connor Newcomb and John Mioli. However, um, he's still five episodes behind the leader, Dr. Stephen Loftus. So a wide gap between one and two remains, but we now have a new person tied for the second most guest appearances. Two is my lucky number. I don't do the draft, so I imagine that Loftus is coming on very soon again, and he's an outstanding guest. So I'm very, very happy to be on it all. Twice is kind of like a privilege. Hey, if uh, things keep going the way they are with the CBA negotiations, you might catch him by June. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, we'll see, what, we'll see what happens at Twin Lakes and, like, how, mu- how much we can see. It might, it might be, like, explosive. We expect it to be good, and we expect our teams to perform well against affiliates. So I'll, I'll be there. Well, Eric, we really appreciate you coming on. We will be back next week at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. Check us out there in the meantime. Join the message board. Participate in the latest discussion. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at BSL on the Verge. And Eric, before we sign off, tell our listeners where they can find your work and what you have uh, coming up. Uh, right now, I'm kind of focused on the, the podcast. It's the Florida Prospect Report. I do it with my friend uh, named Bailey. We're going through all the minor league systems. Uh, we talk about how different baseball is in Florida and how we have access to uh, amateur and the minors and different parts of the pros. So the podcast is, it's been a lot of fun and we have a lot of great things planned for, for, uh, for this season. So uh, Utah Street Report and uh, the podcast and writing for Overtime Heroics have been pretty much my, my focus recently. Thanks for asking. You're welcome and thank you for coming on. Um, we'll be back next week with a new episode. Uh, for Bob and Nick, this is Zach and you've been listening to On the Verge. Choo-choo. <laughs>